Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Minute with Mark. Today, as a rundown, it's off the cuff. It's the start of the week for me. I actually have a couple special guests. I have my boy, Micah. Micah, say hello. Hi. Micah, how old are you? I'm eight years old, almost nine, February 5th. There you go. So you're getting close. And my son, Isaac. Hello. Isaac, how old are you? I am 13. What grade? Seven. All right. So I'm going to bring them on in just a minute. But here's what we're covering today real quick. A couple off-the-cuff things. One is just by way of appetizer. Um, part of my theory is when I'm around people and people like lean in, their eyes get bigger, they want more information on a subject. That's kind of my telltale sign to maybe make a podcast because it'll be more value for you. So today we're going to talk about essential oils, really just super, super short. We're going to talk about gift giving. It's actually a discipline. It's a skill and just a couple things about that. And then whether you are more of a future-bound or a past-bound person, whether we have more future-bound leanings or past-bound leanings, and kind of the defaults and the domino effect of either one of those have, and then how we can shore up if we're more future-bound, how we cannot miss the benefits of past-bound leanings, or if we're more past-bound, how we cannot miss the future-bound leanings. And then I started doing flotation tanks, sleep or um, sensory deprivation. I've done it a little bit. I've heard about it and had a couple cool experiences. And then an interesting story about Monopoly that Micah brought to my attention. And then finally, uh, we're going to break down how to really ring the cash register quicker and cutting through BS when you're dealing with a one-on-one -on -one kind of a closing like right when you're ready to bring the sale across the touchdown, like how not to fumble at the half yard line because a lot of people fumble at the half yard line and we want you to score points for your buyers. We want you to score points for yourself. And so without getting into it, or let's get into it. First off on essential oils, Micah, the body noises, like, you know, all that stuff, mm -hmm. chill it. Okay. Not the <laughs> Micah's pumped up over here to share his spot. But real quick on essential oils. I'm a big essential oil fan. I like it. I like doTERRA. You can get essential oils at uh, all sorts of health food stores and this and that and the other thing. But one of the things that I've noticed is people, by and large, and me in particular, for like the first – I've been into them for a few years, and I, this is shocking. I never knew this, but you know how they come out kind of clunky and weird – and then, you know, you, you're using too much fragrance. Like, like let's say you're going to put frankincense on your feet um, because it's kind of a warming, cool. You can put a frankincense cinnamon combo on your feet and it'll kind of just soothe your feet before bed or something like that. When you kind of blop out almost like a Tabasco bottle, it just comes out kind of funky and weird. And then it's too intense and the oils are too intense on your hands and it just becomes a cumbersome kind of thing. Well, my massage guru... Uh, taught me that if you just use a nice hand lotion or something or a foot cream and dab a couple of the drops on your hand on the dollop of the lotion and rub it into your feet via the lotion to lubricate it, it makes way more use of the oil, way better. I've been doing that for um, a year and change now. And I shared that with a couple people that like oils and they're like, oh my gosh, why didn't I think of that? So if you are in essential oils, um, that's one little secret with essential oils. The second one is I just ran out. I was in the shower this morning, and I have a morning mist and an evening mist. My evening mist is frankincense, um, cinnamon, uh, orange peel extract, like very like warming and lavender, and I just mist it with a spray bottle. 
in my shower before bed. And it's, it's really kind of a heavenly aromatic experience before I go to bed. And then in the morning I do kind of a citrus blend of lemon, orange. Um, I do a little eucalyptus. Basically the gist of it is I ran out of it in the last couple of days and I've been without my essential oils. And all I got to do is just drop a few in and add some water and get back on the horse. But I realized how under-optimized and how less pleasurable my showers are without essential oil. So just toy with that. All you do is you get a bottle from CVS or whatever, drop a few things of, you can just Google around, drop a few things of essential oils, spray it into kind of the mist of your shower. And all of a sudden you'll be having kind of like a luxury shower out of nothing. And it's not till you stop doing it that you realize how awesome it is. All right, moving forward a little bit. Let's get the boys out of here. So first off, Micah, I'm going to bring up you. You guys were playing Monopoly. Come close and kind of speak into the computer. Uh-huh. So you guys are playing Monopoly. And as I understand it, Isaac, or I wasn't there. So it's all the kids. So it's four kids. Uncle Johnny, yeah. that's the whole thing. So five people. Yeah. Anyway, Micah, who is our youngest, was kind of making moves on the Monopoly board that maybe weren't the most beneficial possible. So, Micah, what did you do during the game? Speak uh, speak to the computer, <laughs> not to me. I asked Isaac, can you be my advisor? Okay, so can you be... So, Micah asked Isaac if he could be his advisor. Now, Micah, I heard that nope. you got teased for... The table kind of teased you, like, ah, oh, you don't get an advisor from Monopoly. Mm-hmm. But then what did you do? Um... I just sort of didn't care that much. And yeah, so he didn't care. So basically, speak to them, though, but be conf- <clears throat> be confident, Micah. Like, what you did was the right, a very clever thing, yeah. and I think it's really street-wise, and I want to share it because there's I, value for it, people. I didn't listen to him that much, and for um, Isaac to be my advisor, I paid him $100. Was it 100 Isaac? In Monopoly just, money. Okay, so basically... Isaac. Now, whose idea was it to hire Isaac as the advisor? It was Isaac. It was Isaac. I kind of pitched it to him. Like, Isaac, if you're under, you got to speak into the party. I kind of pitched the idea to him. And and you can't talk in a whispered hush. You have to speak into this machine. Go for it. You got it. I pitched the idea to him. Yeah. And uh, then I just said it like one time. They all told him no, no advisor and Mike. He's the one who pushed for it, though. To yeah, so Isaac ad- advised Micah that he should hire Isaac. So every time it was Isaac's turn for $100 Monopoly money, Isaac would advise Micah. And everyone kind of teased the, the table for the idea. But Micah forked over the 100 And then, Micah, did you start making better trades or what happened? Um, yeah, better trades. Yeah, so Isaac was at a little youth retreat all weekend, so his voice is crapped out. And, and I got him Monopoly. These kids sleep like one hour at those things, so it's good for that. But so, Micah, you hired an advisor though, mm-hmm. and are you glad you did that or what? I'm um, yeah, I'm glad because okay. I got a monopoly. So you actually did better because of that. Mm-hmm. All right. So the moral of this story is: is I heard this. We were on vacation, so when I came back, I heard this little tale. And Micah, you can you can run away. Give me a kiss here. Thanks, boy. Love you. But but what I love about that is there's there's a Solomon proverb that says. Um, in humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. So in humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. And I think one of the biggest stop points to somebody's wealth is thinking they know what they're doing on their own. 
Micah, being the youngest, was getting exploited by others. He was making terrible decisions. Isaac offered to be his paid consultant, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Micah fought for it, and then every time it was Micah's turn, Isaac advised. Now, did you tell him what to do, or did you advise him, or did you give him options well, so he could kind of multiple choice, so he yeah. could still own it, or did you take over his position? I did not take over his position. I would tell him, um, I like, like let's say he wanted to do a trade. I'd be like, Mike, now if you do this, this is going to happen. I don't think that would be good. But right. it, he, he was still playing the game. Okay. I was just kind of giving him like, well, this is most likely going to happen. Awesome. That's why awesome. So the practical takeaway that is when I started marketing, I knew I didn't know anything and. I just knew I didn't know. And that's that's a good starting point sometimes. And so for Google AdWords, this was back in the day, I hired, and this is a little nijitsu move, I hired a pay-per-click specialist to take over my account for 30 days. And it was a 30-day contract. It was not much. It was a few hundred bucks. And it was somebody who kind of knew what they were doing on Google AdWords. And my entire intention was to have that advisor go ahead and set up my account, place a ton of ads, get the keywords, and then... Once I looked at what he did, I said, oh, okay, now I know how to do this. And then I did it way better and started making a bunch of money. <laughs> so it, hiring, hiring for advice is, is a methodology of humility. So humility isn't a concept. It's a thing. It's a practice, Isaac. And one of the greatest things I know is hiring help hiring insight and acknowledging like I don't know what I'm doing and the biggest catch and for the listeners Isaac while you're still here this is another thing people who have what I've found is when people stall or they get stuck in a career it's when they supersede the majority of people doing what they're doing so they're in the upper echelon maybe the top 25 percent or maybe even the top 50 percent of whatever it is Online marketers, it seems that once they hit six figures, they really think they got it figured out. They know autoresponders, they know emails, they know how to sell a product, and they're learning. They quit learning, and they don't realize that they could literally 10 times if they stayed humble and if they stayed asking, okay? Mm -hmm. So hiring for knowledge is, is just a gateway to massive quantum growth, and most people, what ego does is you think, I'm going to figure it out, I'm smart, I'm going to just figure it out on my own and kind of be a self-made man on the thing, and it really is a, it's a fast track to failure, okay? So anyway, <clears throat> moving on, uh, hopefully there was some value on that. Real quick with flotation take, so I've heard about, you know, it's a thousand pounds of Epsom salt, it's a totally black environment, you sit there and you kind of, you're super buoyant, you float, and I've heard it for a handful of people, and they're saying, hey, you got to try it, you got to try it, so I, a new float spa was like, 10 is like 10 minutes from our house. So I go in there, I buy four sessions because I rarely do things one time because a one time frame of reference for whether something's good or bad just isn't the case. And a lot of times by the third or fourth time of something, you really catch on. Like for surfing, uh, my first time surfing, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to surf four or five times to see if I like surfing. Cause I spend a lot of time in California. I spent a lot of time in Hawaii. I've surfed now four or five times. I realized I'm not that good at it to get as good as I would require to be to enjoy it and to be able to maybe teach it to you guys and to do it as a family. The time commitment is greater than the benefit. And so I'm kind of like low key on surfing. Whereas, but it took me a few times to kind of mm -hmm. figure that, figure that reality out. Anyway, so flotation tanks, I go in there and I end up having just a, a legitimate, and I didn't know this was 
this happen, but I have like a full scale hallucination, like to the, like an LSD hallucination, <laughs> but I'm not on LSD. And I didn't, I had no idea that happened. I just thought you went in there and you just kind of chilled out and it was like a slow theta wave meditation or whatever. But I went in there and after about five minutes of getting comfortable and figuring it out, um, another little tip, if you do this, make sure no, none of that salt water gets near your eyes. It'll ruin your whole experience. I had a friend tell me that his entire experience was ruined because he just touched his eye, but he's got a thousand pounds of salt in there and it ruined his whole experience. So I went in there with really low expectations. I didn't read much about it, what happens, this and that. But anyway, I, after about five minutes of getting comfortable in the tank, then about another 10 minutes of just letting the mind wind down and slow down, um, all of a sudden I probably had 20 to 30 minutes of full-scale, like LSD-like hallucinating. And I came out of the spa, and then they give you an oxygen bar for like 20 minutes, and I was reading a book, and I find out that hallucinating is a common experience, seeing visions and all sorts of things inside that tank is par for the course. Now, I've experienced similar stuff, you know, chemical-free, out in the desert where I, where I move into kind of like meditative hallucinating um, with, visual, with visuals and stuff. And so that's happened twice in my life, and I do it a lot, so it's not like something I bank on. But anyway, it happened immediately in this flotation tank. And then the second session I did, it happened again. But I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought maybe I got lucky. So I tell Isaac about this. And then Isaac says, well, actually, Dad, that's common because of XYZ theory. So Isaac, can you lean into the computer? Yeah. Really quick share it. Because a lot of people are looking at flotation uh, sensory deprivation tanks as kind of super hacks to meditative states. And it's happened for me. I'm two for two. Um, on trying it out. But Isaac actually has a little bit of insight of why that is. So mm -hmm. Isaac, hit me. What happens? Well, so basically, um, it's called the Ginsfield or Gansfield effect. I forget which. doesn't really matter. Yeah. But um, basically, it's when there's a whiteout or blackout. So there's no visual patterns you can see. Right. So Because you're, you're in complete dark, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no light that's even hitting the back of your retina with your eyes closed. So you're really having nothing to work with in terms of light or vision or sight or even sound. Because you've got earplugs in as well. Mm -hmm. So, go on. Yeah, that, I was about to bring that up too. And also, it helps when you're audibly. You can't feel anything. You're not hearing anything. Your body, uh, your mind isn't thinking. Okay. And so, when you're floating also, then... I, I don't think it's not that your mind's not thinking. It's, I think it's that you're not being externally stimulated. Because yeah, your mind is never not thinking. Well, yeah. Okay, so it can Better word for that. Yeah. And so, I haven't been one. So, when you're floating, can you feel, any, can you feel anything? Um, no, you really can't because it's body temperature water slightly above, so it's it's pleasurable. There's no real sound. There's no real sight. Mm -hmm. And so for and the, this is called what kind of theory? The uh, Ginsfield effect. Ginsfield effect. Go on. <clears throat> and so when you're doing that, your uh, mind starts to trick itself into seeing its own patterns okay. and such. And then sometimes, maybe, have you ever heard anything in the hallucinations or just see? No, I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything. Right. Okay, but yeah, so then um, your mind starts st stimulating itself, okay. and so that's how it tricks itself into seeing things. And right. It, so where did you, so I came home and shared this, and Isaac goes into this little five-minute explanation. I'm like, kid, where did you figure this out? Like, where did, what inspired you to learn that? I'm curious. You know, I think it was, um, I was just wandering around on YouTube or on the internet or something, and I've always been into seeing, I've never actually got a hallucination, but right. in like meditative states and things like that. And I wanted to try it out. And um, 
there's certain ways you can do it at home. Okay. And so I saw a video on it. Okay. And I watched that. Well, it's on the internet. First off, it's true. <laughs> oh, it's very valid. Very <laughs> so well, anything you well, see, try. See, um, but it wasn't just that video. Then I went yeah. more into it, researched okay. it, went on different sites. Okay. So what was your, what's the at home attempt? Um, you get a you get a paper mask. Okay. And so, so you have light shining over you and that paper mask on. So okay. your eyes are open. This is like a piece of paper yeah, that's just, just over your head. Paper, yeah. Okay. And um, then, so that's white. That's your white out. Yeah. And then you have white noise, which is just a repeating like. So you could Google like white noise mm-hmm. or and, Spotify probably did, has white noise. Oh, yeah. That's what I use. And then you just hear. Okay. And um, then you just lay in your bed. Yeah. And then you just. That's how you yeah. just I think deep you, breathing helps the cause belly breathing. Mm. Um, I've been going into that thing, but, but anyway, Isaac, um, maybe we'll get you, would you like a thing in the tank? I would love to. Okay. We'll I've get known you. about it for like two years now. And I've okay. Why don't you, you got to share these things I did. I, I brought it up with you a while ago. And what I did I say? I asked you to do it for my birthday and you just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, remember family first, unless yes, there's a business thing, then it's business first. <laughs> we got that. I get out of here. Isaac. Thanks. <laughs> um, we got that from. I forget the Netflix show, but it's like, remember, family first, unless there's a business thing, then it's business first. That's our joke around the house. But um, I think I'm going to hook Isaac up with a little sensory deprivation tank and see where it goes. But the reason I share this is meditation is picking up uh, more a mainstream thing. And I think there's a real ancient orthodox approach to that in that, you know, there's a verse in Psalms that says, be still and know that I am God. And I think the act of being still um, kind of shrinks us into perspective of something much larger and much grander. And meditation is kind of a hack into that. And the flotation tank, to my experience so so far, is a chemical-free hack into a deeply meditative state. And my big takeaway on this is since I've done it a couple times now, I think I've done it three times, um, in the normal day, I've been able to, when I find my, my heart rate going up or my cortisol going up or my adrenaline going up or anxiety um, emerging or anything like that, I'm able to quickly remind myself of the state I was in in the tank and I've actually been able to, to access that sense of calm in my daily life. And I've done it several times meaningfully where I'm just like, I remember, I remember that state because it gives you a new watermark of like peace and serenity. Shani's also done it a handful of times and she's had great experiences, including a hallucination. We haven't shared either of our hallucinations with each other or visual. I mean, if that word freaks you out, just the visuals and the messages that our mind are kind of sending to ourselves. So food for thought on flotation tanks. Um, But again, if you're going to try it, I would recommend three to four times. It's probably between introductory rate anywhere from 40 to 70 bucks per experience. So moving on for that really quick, want to share. I right now I'm holding in my hands the Bruce Springsteen autobiography, which is a beast. It was a bestseller. It's about 500 pages and change. And I got it, as I mentioned in a podcast a while ago for my old assistant, Teresa, and Teresa hasn't been my assistant for over, geez, it's been at least five years, but it could be even six years. But she was really, really great. And regarding future bound and past bound leadings, I am a default future 
future-bound person. I think of the future. Now, here's the thing. How do you know if you're more future-bound or more past-bound or, you know, maybe you're more present-bound too? That's, that's also an option as well. And, of course, all of us are hybrids and collaborations of all these things. And one of the things with future-bound people, they tend to – the negative is they tend to be anxious because anxiety is based on future right? Past-bound people tend to be more regret, tend to be more second-guessing why they did that. They lean more towards depression. and But past-bound people also tend to have very loyal, lasting um, relationships from childhood because they remember and they value things that were done for them in the past. Future-bound people tend to, um, once, you know, there's just a, there's a, a danger of, hey, I'm future bound, that person served my purpose, you know, five or six years ago, and they're no longer actively serving me, therefore, they're currently irrelevant. And so I'm more future bound. So to shore up that I am deliberately thinking of past and remembering people that have blessed me on my journey. And Teresa was one of them. So I got her this book. And I wrote her this little note. And Jim Rohn used to say back in the day, that a gift without a note, um, lacks a lot of punch. He didn't quote it like that, but that was the gist of it. So if I just sent her this book and said, hey, I know you love Bruce Springsteen. Thanks for your years of service. Appreciate it. That book wouldn't hold as much. Plus, giving books is tricky because if they're, this is a 500-page beast, and it's like it's almost like, oh, gosh, do I have to read this next time when I see him? Are they going to ask me if I read it and if I got takeaways? And so I'm going to read the very short, probably one-minute reading letter that I that I am including with this um, to put in the mail today. And the reason I'm sharing this is a Solomon verse, Proverbs 19, 16 says, many will seek the favor of a generous man and everyone is a friend to he who gives gifts. So gift giving, um, my mom's been good at it. My grandma's been good at it. And I've just, I've, I've loved being a gift giver and getting creative on how to give gifts and the best way to get the most bang for the buck, both emotionally and financially and all these things. And so I'm going to share this little, this is the little letter handwritten that I'm putting in with this mammoth beast of a book called Born to Run, Bruce Springsteen. So I date it. I say, Teresa, so many great memories over the years together. You and Kev, her husband, are amazing people. And if my memory serves me right, you guys are fans of the boss, just like I am. Uh, the boss, Bruce Springsteen's nickname. This book is a beast, so feel no need to read it at any level. See, I'm, I'm letting them off the hook of having to feel like they read this book, okay? Which I actually think will help her dig into it a little bit. But anyway, I said, uh, this book is a beast, so feel no need to read it at any level. It's meant to be a small token of my affection for you guys. And I put a little heart with a like Cupid thing through it. And then I said, I'm grateful beyond words for your years of service to our people you represented everything our brand stood for. And then I put little check marks. I put fun, fast working, candid, independent, big thinking, dreaming, kindness, loyalty. I said, thank you. Love you guys. Mark Overson. So this goes into the mail. And it's, it's just one of those things where as a future bound, as a future leaning person, I have learned that it's good for me to look into the past, look into the past a little bit and say, you know, who can I give a gift to? Who can I acknowledge? Who can I thank? Because the word remember, at least in the ancient scriptures, the word remember, you can concordance 
concordance it and look how many uses it has. But it has hundreds of references in the Bible. Remember, 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 remember. And so I think there's a, there's a practical spiritual lesson in that. And that as we're going through our life, a lot of things are transient. You know, the projects we worked on 10 years ago, that those people disbanded. The project didn't become a tradition. It's not a legacy piece. It just was what it was. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. But there was something building in that project, and there was magic, and there was relationships, and there might be something worth digging up and sending somebody a token, a thank you, a letter. Um, I rarely send a letter without a t some token of a gift because it just double powers that thing. So anyway, enough on that. Every person is a friend to him who gives gifts. All right, finally, getting the touchdown, making the sale. Um, a lot of you listeners are entrepreneurs or you're involved in actually closing the sale, opening the sale, however you want to term it. And let's pretend, so this is a strategy that I've invoked early, early, early in my career. And it was, it's just been one of the most clarifying things that I've ever uh, used to close sales. So you're, the prospect has gone through all the education material. They're pretty interested. They're either reaching out to you, you're reaching back out to them. And now it's, now it's time to close the sale. Now this isn't for a pack of gum or for a $200 product. This is usually in the one, two, three, five thousand dollars $5,000 range, 10,000, whatever. So right at the touchdown is when a lot of people fumble. And right before someone purchases, questions are actually gateways to buying behavior. So questions precede purchases. And the more questions you get, a lot of times the better it is. However, good marketing should answer the majority of those questions so the human interaction is minimal. So I'm assuming that this is great marketing that answers the majority of questions. So these are my assumptions, that you have marketing in place that answers the majority of questions that people would have and compelling reasons and deadlines and urgency for them to take action. Usually the urgency element, you can work around a, a date, a holiday, a limited amount, some kind of supply. Without urgency, you're going to make 50% less money. You're going to make 50%. I'm just throwing that number out there. I can't prove it. But you're going to make way less money if you don't have urgency. How do you add urgency without just faking urgency? Wrap it around sales, wrap it around promotions, wrap it around expiring bonuses. There's a lot of things, but urgency has to be in the game. So let's just assume they go through the videos, they go through the education booklets, whatever it is, and they're ready to um, sign on the dotted line, but they have some questions. So let's just say, because this just happened, one of my teammates um, had somebody who's ready to purchase a sizable, sizable purchase. Uh, several thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And there's several questions that popped up. So what the the master question is, is before they get into it, you'd say something like, Sarah, thank you so much for going through that marketing. You know, what do you like best about everything you've seen? You got to get them away from their questions for just a second, remind them of the big fat promise of the future reality that they want through the purchase of that product or service. So you want to, you want to reorientate, like, what do you like best about this idea? Just point blank. Okay. Get them in that yes momentum, get them in that positive thing. And then say these questions, I am, I'm a hundred percent to answer every single question. Now here's my question to you. If, if we go through the questions now, follow this and even write this down if you want. If we go through all your questions, I'm game to go through everyone and I answer everything and you have a good understanding and you feel good about, you know, what the responses are. 
Are you ready to get started or are you ready to purchase or are you ready to open the policy or are you ready to sign the dotted line today or in the next day or two? You could say in the next day or two. If it's under 5000 I like to say today. If it's over 5000 I like to say in the next day or two. So if I answer everything and you have a good understanding and feel real good about the responses, are you ready to get started today? Now, at that point, you shut up. You don't say a single word. And they say, well, I mean, I, 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 mean, I don't know. I got it. If they start talking all over the place, you don't answer any of their questions because they're not going to get started anyway. Okay, now, this may seem a little, uh, it could be perceived as rude, but it doesn't need to be because it's just, it, it shouldn't be perceived as rude if it's done in a winsome way, like, hey, great job, you've gone through this information, this is awesome. Now, before we get into this, and I'm willing to, to go through all of it with you, every question you have, so you feel great. If we do go through everything, and you get the positive kind of responses, and you understand what you want, and you feel good, are you ready to get started today? If they say no, or if they have balking answers, or if they want to punt that question, your answering of their questions is just wasting time. Um, now, not all the way, because they could buy later, they could do this, they could do that. But that's the question you lead with. After somebody who's engaged marketing, that's what you lead with. Hey, these are great questions. I'm game to go through all of them. But if we answer them all and the responses sound good and feel good to you, are you ready to get started today? If they don't say yes, why would you waste your breath and your energy and your livelihood and and your spirit and your soul and your mind on a, com a committed non-buyer? It's not worth it. So what I've heard, or or there's another variation of this, and this this, like I said, this has made me hundreds of thousands, just this question. Another one is, is someone will... Um, they, they're, let's say they're leaning forward. They don't have a lot of questions, but you want them to ask questions. You actually want them to ask questions. So another variation of this is, you know, hey, John, you've gone through everything. You know, sounds like it's green lights on, on a lot of things. Like you, re, you reinforce the benefits that your product offers or your service or whatever to, to the buyer. And you say, it seems like green lights and you know, I'm excited. I, I really want you to get this product. I think you're going to love it. But what are your top, this is huge, this is huge. I have closed thousands of sales with this, no, sorry, not thousands of sales, thousands of dollars of sales of with this one question. Okay, you've seen everything, looks like green lights. You, know, you remind them a couple features of the product. And then you say, what are your top two or three questions that you'd want answered before you get started today? What are your top two or three questions that you'd want answered before you get started today. And then you're silent. And then they'll say, well, I, you know, my wife had a question about XYZ. And then you answer that. And then you tell them what happens next. You'll get your product in three to five business days, or you walk them past the purchase. But what a lot of people do, and they don't cross, the purpose is to cross the end zone with the ball so that they score some points for their life with the product. You score some points by exchanging the product with them and you win. This is a clarifying question that cuts through so much VS. Because if you just leave an open zone for them to ask endless questions, 
they will get a kick out of like you're suddenly their little rag doll that they can just ask questions and throw a question out to left field and you huff and puff like some idiot out there and grab it and bring it back to them and they kind of get a game out of it and then they throw it off to left field and then you huff and puff over there and I've done this in the past when I was a younger kid and ignorant and what I've learned to do is say you know what are your top two or three questions you want answered before you get started today and then usually it helps them say, well, okay, tip of their tongue. They had this question and that question. Answer that, shoot past the sale, describe when they get it, how they get it, their first use of it, what they can expect as a first early win, and move past the conversation before they purchase. Pre-purchase conversation should be very low, and a lot of your marketing should be, this is what happens after you purchase it. This is the benefits of ownership. This is how you're going to feel. This is how your head is going to hit the, the pillow after you purchase this. This is how you're going to feel. So a lot of your marketing is actually post-purchase. They call it future pacing. They own it and they start getting the benefits because then what happens is if, if they don't purchase that whole picture that was just painted for them of the future of ownership, is now off limits. You've expanded the territory of their lives. You've expanded the dominion of their ownership in the world, of their of their ownership of stuff or whatever it is, life-enhancing material or education. It's a software upgrade for their mind, whatever it is. You future cast the power of that and then you extract it. Now what you've done is you've expanded their mind and a mind expanded hates retracting back. It's against its nature to retract back because I believe we're meant to grow. So. Food for thought on getting the sale closed. Again, if you're in any form of direct sales, whether it's a private jet, whether it's, it doesn't matter, whether you're selling franchises, whether, you know, whatever you're selling. Seems like it's a bunch of green lights. What are two or three of your top questions you want answered before you get started today? I have seen, and, and people have watched me close sales in the past live and they see a one call close and it's shocking, but I, I don't, that's, I'm not mincing words and I'm not, I'm just asking the key things they want before they get purchased. And that's leadership selling. It gets more products in people's hands faster. All right, Mark Overson, I am signing out. Minute with Mark over and out.